apologize. Hey everybody, it's Richard Harris here with another fantastic episode of Corona Geddon and the Surf and Sales podcast with my friend Scott Lease and our other mutual really good friend. I've been looking forward to this one. Um, he really needs no introduction other than his name, which is Morgan J. Ingram um, from John Barrows, J. Barrows Sales Training. Good friend, uh, a very astute, smart man, uh, creator of the SDR Chronicles. And, you know, I guess my welcome to the show, Morgan. Thanks for coming on. I need Richard to do all my intros moving yeah, forward. <laughs> right. You're right. Hype, he's your hype man, dude. I, thought he I love it. Yeah. <laughs> so, Morgan, by the way, just out of curiosity, you know, it's it, it's almost Hollywoodish. But what's the J stand for? It's like it you're Michael J. Fox. Right? <laughs> it stands J. for it stands for Joseph. And. Okay. It's funny, when I first came out with the SCR Chronicles and was posting on LinkedIn, what, three and a half, four years ago, people thought it was fake. People thought I made up the J, and I was like, no, like, it's, like it's, it's legit a thing. But now what I want to do is, you guys, you guys have seen it, like, shout out to Kevin Dorsey. He's got, like, the KD in parentheses, and James Buckley has, like, sales what sales in parentheses. I just want to put the J in parentheses just to start messing with people. But, <laughs> <laughs> and be like, like, oh, like it's a cool thing to do now? Yeah, yeah, yeah. But, yeah. no, it's, it's yeah, a I real start, thing. I started that trend a long time ago. Welcome, welcome, welcome to the 21st century. <laughs> and the old guy still has it. So, um, so just give everybody a little bit of context, Morgan, for those who don't know you. Um, yep. You know, as much as we like to think we're all so important and everybody should know us, right? Because that's that's all of our attitudes and egos. Um, tell like where'd you get your start? Where'd you grow up? Like, tell people a little bit about where Morgan came from. Um, let's talk about your origin story. Yeah, so born and raised out of Atlanta, Georgia, and you know Atlanta, Georgia is great, except for the sports teams that give us heartache and the and the traffic, right? So those are two things that suck, but it is what it is, and. Yeah, grew up with two, two younger brothers, mom and dad, still together doing their thing. So grew up in a very, in a very Christian-based home, which I don't, I don't really talk a lot about because someone ever asks, like, the origin story. People are just like, oh, how'd you get into sales? But, like, let's, let's start from the beginning, right? This is, more, this is a more normal story than most people in sales. Yeah, I know. Super, yeah. super, yeah, whatever. And so, you know, as I was growing up. As a Southerner, Baptist, Catholic. Baptist. What, what, okay. Baptist. So went to church every single week. That was just part of it. Right. So again, nothing crazy. And as I continuously was going through high school, I realized that, okay, I want to, I wanted to, I wanted to leave. Like I wanted to go somewhere else. I was sick of Atlanta. I was sick of Georgia. Everybody was going to UGA. So I didn't, I didn't go to UGA. I went to Auburn for a year and a half. And I realized when I went to Auburn that I wanted to come back because what, the major that I was in just finance, I wanted to get more in sports management. I wanted to go be a sports agent. So I ended up going back to the University of Georgia, going back home to Georgia and did a double major in finance and sports management. And then, you know, show me the money, Jerry Maguire, right? I saw that movie and I was like, this is, this is it. <laughs> I want to be a sports agent. And didn't pan out because they told me at the time I had to go to law school. Found out after you didn't have to go to law school to be a sports agent. It kind of made me angry, but it is what it is. Then went to a local event here in Atlanta. And they told me about our company Terminus that was just starting up right at the time where I graduated. And that's where I got into SDR work sales. I read a blog post by Ralph Barcy about starting a YouTube channel. That's where the SDR Chronicles originated. 
and just started sharing my journey and best practices. And from there, that's what I've been doing. Uh, try not to overcomplicate any process or tips I give. It's all stuff that I've taught other people through my team or I've done myself. So the content comes out naturally and organic and that's really the background story. And then, you know, joined JV sales, been with him for two and a half years, but really, and there's a lot of stuff that happened in between all that stuff, but that's like the origin story. Like that's how I've gotten here to where I'm at today. What, what made you decide you liked sale? I mean, yeah, it's one thing to watch something from Ralph Barcy. He's a good friend of ours and we, we yeah. love him and know him, but you still, you know, sales is a conscious decision, right? Yeah. Like it's not like, finance or accounting or any of those kind of you know sure. degrees or marketing that you kind of have to decide i'm going to go do this so what prompted you to go do this the biggest thing for me was you had to grow as a person to be successful in doing this and the more people that i talked to i realized that you you have to be an active listener you have to make sure you're asking the right questions you have to make sure that you're coming prepared. You got to make sure that you're organized. Like these are all the things that make you a better person. And so I took that and realized, okay, if I can go do this in sales, if I can deal with the, the mental pressures that sales comes with, I should be able to do a lot of other things moving forward by understanding this skill set in this role. And Did so you that like you needed to yep. force yourself into an environment like that, that sort of demands the growth rather than being a, I don't know, an accountant where you still have the opportunity to grow as a person like that, but maybe it doesn't necessarily force you to grow and evolve. I feel like I needed that, that force for, that pressure. For, for, for that challenge. And for, yeah. because otherwise it's like, you know, I had a finance major, so I went and saw an internship and they were all just not say they were chilling, but they all, you have your model that you go with and you just do your thing. If you understand the model, you're good. But in sales, you have to continuously be growing. Otherwise you're going to get exposed because it's changing every other day. And so I knew if I put myself in that environment, I'm going to grow a lot faster than maybe another role that I would have taken. Do you, do you have examples in life where you've done that before, like growing up as a kid where you, you know, your path seems a little different, right? Um, were you the competitive sports kid? Were you the kid who, you know, I, you know, we talk about all the time. I sold baseball cards and Charlie Ranch yeah. at an early age in school, like other things from when you were younger that would, have gone oh this is probably why i took sales too yeah i have a couple examples one is this will <laughs> most people don't know this uh in in high school and at the later stages of middle school i played a lot of video games one video game that i heavily gravitated towards was halo 2 and so for context for those you may have played or may have not like you get all the way up to level 50 is the max level i got to level 48 so i got just really really good at the game and ended up getting picked up by MLG's team, which is semi-pro, pro-level gaming. So that, to me, is what, what got me into, like, the competitive spirit. Because every game, like, we were practicing, like, we were in it. So that got me in just, like, a competitive spirit. And then as I got more into high school, I have been playing basketball for a while. I picked up basketball. And in basketball, we won two state championships as well. So I also picked up that competitive spirit. And the people on my team were all – D1 you must have been pretty good to be on the state basketball championship team. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> now I got my Achilles partially teared over here, so I'm not as good. But well, but back in the day, <laughs> back in the day, yeah, we played with Malcolm Brogdon and you know, he's in the league now and other players that went D1. So I would say those two situations helped me. And then also I sold Pokemon cards, Richard. So 
sold baseball cards, I sold Pokemon cards, and end up almost getting expelled because I was selling too many Pokemon cards. So I put myself in these in these different situations in these environments to that challenged me to help me get to that next level. That's great. What do you like about the challenge? Like what what where does that come from? Like did somewhere even earlier than that did something happen that sort of said, look, don't tell me I can't do this. Like where did that combinate for you? Yeah, so I was the oldest, but my younger brothers were gifted with intelligence off the charts. So my middle brother went, went to Harvard, right? Graduated and now he's at Columbia grad, grad school, right? Uh, my, my youngest brother graduated college, oh no, graduated high school early, like by two grades. So they just were like brilliant minds. And I, I never had that. So I was in classes, but I never understood school. I was never a fan of it. So I always felt like I was challenged to go do more and I felt like I should have been the smartest because I was the oldest so I just felt like I had to do different things so I could get that gratification of like me accomplishing challenges and also I never was the best in the things that I had gone out and do like I was you know every I was always like second or third so I always knew like okay I gotta put more work in and I have to go study more than people who have that some innate talent so I just have the ability and my talent is to take information things that I see and improve upon it based on a book or a structure or what someone tells me. And so that always was ingrained in me. The other thing that I think is, is a super talent of yours is the ability to implement feedback right away. Mm -hmm. You absorb this information, but unlike a lot of people, what I've noticed in the time that I've known you is information comes in and action happens very, very quickly. Mm -hmm. And you, how, how do you coach somebody in your mind? How would you coach somebody out there who, gets the information and kind of knows what they should do or where they should go next, but struggles with the decision or struggles with the implementation or overanalyzes it and overthinks yeah. it. I'm curious how you coach those kind of people. I, I know, I know how I've done it in, in, in the past and I'm for sure I'm blessed to not have the overanalytical gene. So I think that I'm, <laughs> yeah. that I'm more similar to you. Like, Richard and I talk sometimes and we'll have an idea and like 30 minutes later, I'll have implemented the idea. And Richard's like, Jesus Christ, we probably should have thought of this, you know, thought about this a little longer, right? Richard's like, we should have gone to the lab. I think this is a super talent of yours. And so I, I'd love for you to share with the, the audience, like how you think about that, how you coach people on that. What advice do you have yeah. for people? Yeah, I'll definitely going to advice. I'm, I'm curious on your end, right? So Scott, how, how have you seen that through me and what I do? Because I think it'd be, the, it'd be helpful for the audience to see how yeah, you I mean, see that. So straight away, like you and I have had multiple conversations yeah. where I feel like I've given you my perspective or advice on something and I'll mm. literally notice you talk about it like the next day, right? Yeah. Uh, in, in some of the, the work that you do and things like that. And so so for me, you know, hearing you say that that's how you are, information comes in and action kind of happens. Yeah. Even you, know, you you read this blog by Ralph and then instantly start the podcast. Like, so I, I've seen you take take action like that, and and so that's why I'm curious. You know how you develop that? Do you just not have that over analytical gene the same way I do? Yeah, if you have it. How did you silence it? Because I think that's really important perspective to give to people out there. Because I know a lot of people struggle with this. Richard, absolutely, with this. absolutely. So I, 
overthink a lot of things. So Richard, I feel you on your overthinking perspective. The switch for me, and then I'll tell people how I, how I, I help them coach through it, but the switch for me was realizing, wait, this person has seen this amount of success. Why would I not listen to what they have to say? And I also tell myself, the worst case scenario is that it doesn't work and I move on. The best case scenario is it does work and it takes me to that level that I was aspiring for in the first place. So when I was in college, a lot of stuff that I did was informational interviews. I, I reached out to people that were in sports because I wanted to be a sports agent like I told you guys. And I got a lot of feedback on like, hey, you should do this, you should do that. And I always ask them like, okay, so why don't people take your advice? And they're like, well, because they overthink it or they think that they know better. And I realized that I can't think that I know better someone who has a certain title because they've done those things. They've seen the obstacles. They've already gone through, the, through that journey. So my perspective always like, if someone gives me advice on something, I'm like, okay, let me go execute it. Let's see if it works for me. And if not, it's completely fine. If it does, that's fantastic. And so I've always had that ability to do that. Now in taking feedback, I've always struggled with because I don't like getting negative or constructive feedback, but I know that that's only there to help me. So then I just take that in, internalize it. If I don't like it and I go do that. In terms of coaching people, I always tell them this. I, hey, look, like what, are, what you're already doing, you're already getting results on, but you don't know the unknown of what you could get more results on. So I'll sometimes post a post like, hey guys, you should do this. And people are like, well, where's the data on this, on, on this segmentation, on this industry? And I'm like, look, I don't know all the, the yeah. answers to that question, but you just need to go do it. Like you're refuting with me, but you haven't even done one of these things. So until you do it, this yeah, conversation is no yeah, void. And I get so your test, your test is already superior because you've at least done it once, right? I've done it. And I've had other people execute on as well. So like, if you're saying, oh, that doesn't work and you haven't done it, I'm questioning you now on like how you're going to say that doesn't work when you haven't even executed it. And so that's why I was telling people don't overthink it because you got to think about the worst case scenario and the worst case scenario every single time with people's advice is that it doesn't work. And then you can say, Hey guys, I tried this out and it didn't work. Here's why. And here's what I learned. And that's a story to tell for yourself. Cause now when you become that mentor, you can help your mentees go through something where you tried something out and didn't work. And I always just say, Hey, look, let's just try it. I don't know if it's going to happen or not. And that's what the SDR Chronicles, one of the things was, hey, let's try it. Like, if it doesn't work, I'm the guy who made videos and no one liked. If it works, it's going to turn into a big thing. And so that is how I take that in. I wanna, that's great advice. I want to turn this into real world because I know this about you, right? I remember when, um, when you were first considering to work for, for John and I had already yeah. known you and I knew John. And, you know, I think you and I have talked about this. You know, you know John said, hey, go talk, go talk to Morgan. I, I need to just sort of get an opinion on him. And I think the biggest um, concern, right, even by you, I remember talking to you about it was, well, gosh, Richard, I've really just been an SDR. I haven't been a closer. How are people going to take me legitimately as a closer if I hadn't been in a closing role, right? Mm. You remember, do you remember this conversation? Oh, yeah. I remember that conversation. We were, we were, we were at an event. Yeah. <laughs> and the, so, we were in the back. You were like, what up? Yeah, I remember that. Yeah. But here's, so here's an example of here's something you haven't done. And John was willing to take that risk on you, right? Because uh, it, it was a legitimate concern, but I think we all kind of knew, but yeah, but he's Morgan, he's got it, he's got a good personality, he's LinkedIn famous, right? Like he's, he's got all the, the, he's got it all down on paper. How did you implement, and, and I think this is a really good segue for people who are SDRs, who are thinking about going into a closing role, right? Mm -hmm. uh, you just sort of went about six levels, you punch way above your weight class because um, the right opportunity came at the right time. 
Right. How did you work yourself through that? How did you get that through you mentally once you sort of knew you had the gig with John? So I reached out for advice. I knew that I knew that, okay, I know how to prospect, right? I know how to make videos, content, but discovery and closing, <laughs> I had no idea. So what I did is I leaned on John heavily in the beginning, sending him my calls. But what I also did as well, knowing how busy John was gonna be like, and still coaching and being there, I knew that I had to go find other resources. So I reached out to Frank at Costello, now their sales off. I reached out to Kevin Dorsey. I reached out to Amira. I reached out to other people in my, in my network that were willing to take the time to do role plays with me on discovery. And I said, hey, I'm gonna do discovery with you, like give me the feedback. And that helped me out a ton because I was able to get VP level, C level opinions from people who have done sales, who have done enterprise sales, who have, are being sold to on their opinions on how to run sales cycles. So I knew that, hey, I just needed repetition to do it, but also I was again, playing in a different game. And I know I couldn't just act nonchalantly. So I just did that. I listened to tons of podcasts, took notes, and I just tried out different things and figured out what my style is. And now I'm way more comfortable in my style. But that was a that was a very difficult adjustment for me because I knew it was going to be hard for me to sell to to VPs of sales when I had never been in in a closing role before selling sales training. Right. Yeah. So it was a massive adjustment for me. It was tough at the beginning. I think for like the first six to nine months, it was tough. But after I did those role plays read books, looked at LinkedIn posts and implemented that advice, I did it because I, I can't just sit here and be like, oh, okay, yeah, I got this brand on SCR Chronicles. I'm good. You can't have that. So you, so you just said something. It took me, you know, six to nine months. If you had to go do it over, do you think you could nail that back down to three months? Absolutely. So what advice do you give that SDR who's looking for that next role or that AE who's looking to yeah, move into How can they shorten their timeline to success? Yeah. Absolutely. So I would say... The number, the number one thing is understanding how you start a call and how you end a call. Think, I think a lot of times people get on a call and they have a conversation and they started nonchalantly. They don't have upfront contracts. They don't ask what they're looking for. They're not getting the right information in the beginning. And then they don't close for next steps. I don't know what the stat is. You guys probably know what it is, but it's an insane stat where how many reps don't ask for the next step. They're just like, yep, I'll fall up next week. And it's like, yeah. Hey, you, you gotta get that next step. And so I think a lot of a lot of times when I see like new AEs come into roles, and you guys can attest to this as well, they don't ask for the next step. They just assume that, okay, I got an SDR feeding me leads, it'll be fine. And I think that's the number one thing you gotta lock down is how do you start the call? How do you end it? I think number two was taking the time to talk to your customers and sitting down with them and understanding what their language is. So you can ask the right questions. Customers, not prospects, right? Customers. Yeah. Customers, like being like, okay, customer success, I'm gonna sit with you on your calls this week. Because you gotta understand what language they're talking. And that was, that was helpful for me when I did it later down the line. But you gotta make sure you talk to those customers. I think the third piece is putting yourself on mute when the prospect is talking. I do that a lot now. Like the prospect's talking, I put myself on mute so that I can't interrupt them. And truly listen to what they have to say, take three seconds and then follow up with the question and treat it as a conversation and not just like, hey, I have these route interrogation questions I have to ask. And I think the fourth thing that has helped me out a lot is continuously looping in other people. 
I think the, the biggest thing is that you have a great conversation with someone. You're like, awesome. This is my one person I need to talk to. Instead of, I think I saw a post on this, but like having deal insurance, like, Hey, who's the next person we got to bring in? Who else do we have to bring in? And then like the fifth thing I would say is making sure that you have the right people coming on your calls. I think a lot of times an SEO going to AE, the right internal like decision makers or well, right or decision makers, but internally in your company, like bringing in those people okay. to be like, Hey, we're going to bring so-and-so to the call. You want to bring so-and-so as well. I think I just, I would try to go in solo mode in the beginning. Be like, Nope, I got this. Instead of being like, wait, I got resources I can pull in to be successful. So th those would be the five things that I feel like if I would have taken those more seriously, I would have definitely got that down in like three months for sure. I like, I like that phrase deal insurance. I started a uh, lively debate not too long ago asking what's harder these days, the SDR role or the AE role as the former king of SDRs. <laughs> and now somebody who's in the closing kind of role is your opinion the same? Has it changed? What is your opinion on that particular debate? And don't sit on the fence like so many people try to do. I don't give <laughs> me your fucking political speech, dude. Come on. You won't let me. Pick a side. You won't let me. Well, I don't want to hear, well, it depends on any thousand factors. Come on. Pick All right. So my my honest belief as of today is the SDR role is still the toughest role. And and I'm gonna I'm gonna tell you why it is, right? There you go. Morgan Morgan has spoken. Tell us. I'm why. gonna tell you why it is. And people are gonna be like, oh Morgan, I don't agree with you. This is why. It's because it's it's getting harder and harder and harder to get people's attention. Because there are way more SDRs out cranking bad emails, bad templates, etc. You don't see a lot of people on social, on social media being like, Hey, I just had a, a terrible discovery call. You don't, you don't see that a lot. You don't see a lot of people say, Oh, that was a bad closing technique. That read bad. It's always this SDR did a terrible job. So based on how many people are putting out this bad con not connotation, but bad reference and perspective on SDRs right now, it's a lot harder to get your job done. Cause even if you do it the right way, they may have gotten destroyed by other SDRs and BDRs that have ruined their appetite to take a meeting. And you have to use multiple channels. You have to use social, cold calling, videos, email. It's just a lot harder. And I feel like as of today, the SDR role is, a lot, is tougher because also mentally it's tasking. Like you hit your goal at the end of the month and it's like, good job, Eddie. You got to go do the same thing again, right? But if you close a deal, you hit the gong, people are fired up, CEO's giving you a high five. You schedule 200% of quota, people are like, oh, that's cool. You want to do that again? So that I feel like the SR role, because of those factors I just told you all, is the hardest. And also, HubSpot gives us the data every single year. Number one obstacle and struggle for reps is prospecting. So if it's the number one obstacle for all reps across the board, and your only role is the prospect, I see it as the toughest role. And, I, and again, I'm not discounting AEs because I'm closing. It's, a tough, it's tough as well. But in terms of prospecting, month, you know. <laughs> no, no. But I'm saying, like, as the toughest one, it's got to be SDRs. I got to uh, that was great. I, I'm going to shift this and I'm going to go deep with you because we've had this conversation and we've never been able to follow up on it and we've wanted to. Yeah. Um, and you know where I'm going, I think, too. Um, you know, for those who don't know, uh, you know, Morgan's African-American and you know, I've always had this belief that it's mm. always tougher for 
people of different ethnicities or even people of, of different genders to succeed in sales. Yeah. And I'd love to talk to you a little bit about that. Um, I'll sort of let you decide, you know, do you want to go through, Oh, I had this one experience or here's how I've dealt with it. You know, we had, um, we had KD on and he talked about being the only, mm -hmm. right. And he was often the only African-American on the sales team or the only, you know, just different things. I'm curious how you've even had to approach that. Um, I just, I just would love to get your feedback and, and hopefully in a, in a way that others can, can take away from it. Yeah. So I would say doing, doing what I do on a database is tough. Here's why, because as I put content out there, there's a lot of things that happen from an external standpoint when people look at it. They're like, all right, cool. This dude's 27, right? Yeah, uh, get the age thing. Like the age thing. He's yeah. African-American, so coming out there. He's posting every single day as if he knows exactly what he's talking about, which, is, which I try not to come off that way, but people could see one post and see that. And, and as well, I'm speaking in front of audiences, and sometimes there may be that senior rep who's been in sales for 20 years, and you're like, all right, we got this 27-year-old kid. Like, my kids are as old as you. Like, what are you going to tell me right now? And so those are things I deal with on a day-to-day -day basis. And it's also tough because there's not a lot of people I can talk to about that exact situation I just gave you. Yeah. So they can give you advice like, hey, I have this one part of it, but not the whole thing I gave you. So the way I deal with it is I figure out ways to over-index what I have to do. And what I mean by that is I'm like, okay, how can I – figure out creative ways to deliver this to the audience. How can I be innovative? What's something that no one's really thinking about? What, what can I be reading that maybe no one's touching on, like a psychology, et cetera. But it is a continuous struggle. And so a lot of stuff that I do is I always try to focus on, especially when I do training sessions, like time of value. Like in the first like 10 minutes, I'm gonna come up with something that you probably haven't seen before and that I've executed on and I've shown other people how to execute on that's led to their success. But in terms of being the only, like I faced that as well. Like I went to a private school. I was like one of the six only black people in the school, right? Even when I first started at my company, it's one of the only, was the only black rep. So all that stuff plays a factor. But what I see it as a advantage because it allows you to focus in and hone in on your skill sets because you have to be better in those situations than other people just because you're seen in a different light. And I know, again, being younger, being African-American, it, it's continuously tough for me because I, I know that there's always that sense of like, this person may not know what they're talking about. That's why I have to come more prepared than most. But again, because I'm coming more prepared, it allows me to build my skill set even faster. And that's the way that, I know about it. It's interesting because that actually goes back to what you said earlier about how you felt about your brothers. Yeah, right? for like, sure. That, that sort of got built into you of like, okay, I've got to work a little bit harder, right? Yeah. You know, these two are the geniuses. I'm the handsome one, right? Like yeah. I need both. Right? <laughs> yeah. but do you do you find and you know do you find that there's still racism in your level of sales? Do you think that when people meet you for the first time and they're like, "Oh, I had no idea that Morgan's African American," or do you feel like, well, at this point, they should kind of know because they've gone, they should go to LinkedIn? Do you still face that these days, or is it getting better? They should, but at the same time, it's always there. It's subconscious. Right. Subconscious. Like, go back to Auburn. Like, there were a lot of racist people at Auburn. We're in Alabama, right? But 
part of that has to do with you got to think of their parents, their grandparents, their great grandparents. Like they grew up the time where, you know, MLK was there, right? The KKK was rampant. We had the Black Panthers, et cetera. So they grew up in that time. So probably some of their grandparents were in the KKK. So like they grew up in a racist household. So everything that we shape ourselves in the future is all based on our childhood. So if you went through that in your childhood, it's going to affect you moving forward, right? And so those are the things that I see and I face. And I know some people, if I have conversations with them, they probably have that racial perspective and they might not even know that I know that, but I do know that. And so it's still there. I think you can't say racism is completely dead. There are obviously some great people in the space that that's not even a, that's not even a factor, but there are a lot of people out there that are like that. Absolutely. How are you going about trying to, to be a mentor for folks in similar situation as you? You know, because you, you didn't, you just said a little bit ago, you, you didn't have anybody to kind of go to, or even now there's very few people for you to talk yeah. to that are maybe at your level dealing with the same things. Yeah. But you are somebody that people younger, less experienced, you know, than yourselves can go to. You, you have the ability to really, you know, make an impact on a lot of people's lives. How, how are you prioritizing mentorship um and and being a you know a guiding light if you will to to some of these folks uh as they go about their career you're you're an example to them right yeah i I take i take as many conversations as i can i i I guess i got more time now (laughs) but before like you know with traveling every single week it was really difficult for me to do that but i i knew that there was i knew that there was a lot of people out there that needed advice and so i get reach out to, you know, every other day asking for that help. And so what I'll do is I'll hop on that call and then really say, I give them that 30, 45 minutes to just ask me questions. If I have a question for them, it might be one question, but I, I really, I really take that time to, to have conversations with people. So it's nothing crazy. I don't think it's anything really special. I just take the time where, you know, some people may be like, I'm, I'm insanely busy. I'm like, no, like I really want to give that advice. And I always ask people before they get in the conversation, like, what exactly do you want to talk about? Like, I don't, I yeah, don't like, yeah, I, I wrote about this yesterday. It's super yeah. hard when people come to you and they just have vague questions and advice. And it's so much easier when they can be very specific about exactly like don't ask me about my background and like how i got here like that probably isn't that relevant to you because you might probably not gonna do the same exact thing as me so i just want to know exactly why you why you reached out and what we can do and some people may see that as an a-hole comment but it's really not i'm just trying to get to the root of what your problem is like you don't want to hear about my story for 20 minutes i can send you a podcast episode that goes through that like we really have a real conversation while you have my 30 or 45 minutes of time how do you how do you prioritize it though be and, and and try try to be real specific and tactical here if you if you can because you know you say well i take all the calls that i can like with all the other things that you're doing every single day for work and your personal life and everything else like how do you make sure you you are do you like like a day that's like morgan mentors on tuesdays is there a particular hours of each day that you go about these things so that's a great question phone calls is it emails How, how do you you see what I'm saying? Yep. Phone calls, Mondays, 
late Friday afternoons are where it's blocked off. Mondays block it are off my, like that. Yep. Mondays are my admin days. So I normally don't take any calls at all unless it's a podcast internal meeting or someone wants help. And then late Friday afternoon for on normally I'll be like, Hey, if you want to talk for 30 minutes, we can, but Scott, how I weed out most people is when they ask for time, I say, what exactly do you want to talk about? You're shocked. You, you, you guys would be shocked how many people don't answer that question. I would, I would that means be, people aren't serious. I would be shocked because I experience it all the time. People don't answer it. So then I'm like, okay, you weren't serious about this conversation. Then I move on. The people who answer that, I take the conversation and they go on to take the advice and they do well. What, do you, what kind of things do you wish they would say? Like you give people advice of like, hey, if I'm reaching out to Morgan or anybody for mm-hmm. advice, you know, what do you want them to say to you to, to, to make that? Cause I, I think, I think they know, but they're afraid. And, and in some cases they know, but they don't know how to ask for it. Right. And you, and we all know you kind of have to get into yeah. discovery mode with these folks for and sure. we're happy to do it, but what, what do you give people advice on how to ask for advice? So first off, answer the question. That's the first or, step or, or better yet, <laughs> or better yet lead in your in your intro and your outreach to Morgan yeah. and the other mentor and be like hey Morgan I got a very specific question tactically about this particular way that I'm trying to close a deal how would you approach this perfect but, so but if that, they just reach out and then Morgan has to reach out reach back and say well what do you want to talk about and then yeah. some of these people ghost yeah and then it's like you weren't that serious you just wanted to have a conversation to say that you talked to Scott, John, Katie, whatever, just to say that you got it. And that's, that's why I asked the question, started asking the question because I realized how many people weren't serious about it. Uh, but Richard, I think the Scott's point, that's one thing. I think another thing is like, be as, like just what Scott said as well, be as granular as possible. I know somebody came to me and they're like, hey, look, I've been doing this voice message thing lately. I've sent about 20, but I feel like my value props a little off. Can, I'm gonna send you one and can you listen to it to give feedback? Awesome. Send it to me. And we had a conversation and now he's ready to go. So like, that is a great way of asking the question. If you're just like, Hey Morgan, I just want to hear about your background. I'm going to be like, what do you mean? I've done like thousands of episodes of podcasts that have my background. So if you listen to a couple episodes, you'll have that. We don't need to have a 30 minute conversation about my background. It's on LinkedIn. Right? So like, those are things that like, I wish that would stop happening. What I would wish I would start hearing is like, Hey Morgan, I'm in the security space and I want to build my personal brand. How would you suggest going about that? Cool. Let's have a conversation. Hey Morgan, I'm being tasked to do a hundred calls per day and I'm afraid to get on the phones and my intro has been weak as of late. Can we have a conversation on what strong intros look like and how I can implement it in my process? Fantastic. Let's talk, right? Hey Morgan, I saw you were in London. I'm a London rep and I heard you saw you train a couple of people in London. Can you give me advice on what you gave? Cool. Let's talk. It's, paying attention. It's not like I'm not hiding. I post every single day. So there's enough content that you can ask me a contextual question. Yeah. If you really want my, if you really want anyone's advice, to be honest. Agreed. Maybe we're running out, we're running up against the time here. Both you and I have a hard stop. Yeah. We, we talk and chat and text and whatnot all the time, but is there anything at the moment that Richard or I can kind of, do for you and, and help you and be, be supportive? Nothing really. I mean, the fact that like this podcast you guys got going on, I like how it's casual and it's real. I think a lot of people, a lot of people need that right now in a positive light and some empowerment as we go into this mess that we're currently in, but nothing else. I know we got, you know, next Monday and Tuesday, I know JB sales where John's doing a training virtually. We got that going on, but other than that, Hey, just follow me on, on LinkedIn, check it out. 
Yeah. Well, then, then, then I have, then I have a request for you. This is the first yeah. time I've ever asked. <laughs> I've ever flipped it around and asked for help from one of the guests. You game? Here. You game? Okay. Um, I think right now that some of us with some level of influence or voice out there um, in the sales community have a bit of a responsibility right now to try to be as helpful as possible to, the, to those who are, really feel like they need to close deals in order to eat. Yeah. And, and they're worried about um, paying bills and not just working from home, but losing their jobs. I already saw one message this morning where somebody lost their jobs because of the virus. Um, and I've, 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 I feel a responsibility to speak out and, and try to protect people in sales leadership and sales roles from you know undue demands on performance right now, given all the chaos going on. You know, I, I'm pretty tired already of hearing about the downturn of 08 and the and 9/11 and the dot-com bust and how everybody sold through that. And you can sold through. Ain't nobody prepared for this shit right now. Okay, mm. nobody has gone through what we're going through right now before. And so I, I just really hope that people out there are are able to be kind and share and be willing to donate their time and resources if they have it. And so my ask of you is, you know, if you agree with that, if you can amplify and support these kind of messages, I'm sharing them all over the place on Twitter yeah, and LinkedIn sure. right now. Um, you know, I, I think the more people like, like us that speak out on these things, hopefully we can create some level of influence and, and protect and help some people. And so that's my ask of you. Yeah, absolutely. I had someone message me the other day and they told me that, their entire sales team was downsizing because of what's happening. And I know a lot of people that are in the travel business, right? This is what they do, right? And they have to completely stall everything. And they're like, we, they're making massive pivots. So yeah. I know it's, this is something that no one saw coming, right? To your point, but also this fast where it's like, everything is shutting down. Like when I saw like, Sports league shutting down, events shutting down, Olympics might not even happen. We can't go to Europe. I was like, all right, this is this is different, right? Italy, Italy is not even they can't even leave, right? So it's yeah, something we've never seen before. So I definitely support that, Scott. Appreciate it. All right, man. Thanks for joining us as always, dude. Good yeah, time. absolutely, absolutely. Morgan J. Ingram, ladies and gentlemen, for Joseph. So for Joseph, Joseph yeah. yeah, not made up. Thanks for hanging out with us, man. We, we appreciate all these, all these Georgia boys and their trademark names. <laughs> you know. Hey, ATL. Yeah. And what, what happens when you don't trademark? Gary V steals it, right, Scott? That's a fact. Gary, Gary <laughs> Vee. The whole process. Come on, Gary. Oh, gosh. I saw, I saw yeah. that post. It was funny. <laughs> yeah. Not to Scott. Not funny at all. <laughs> you see the smile <laughs> Smile. That smile on his face is angry. He's like, nope. Yeah, it's, it's an angry smile. <laughs> All right. Uh, if you don't know Morgan, please find him on LinkedIn. Please find him at Jay Barrows. They're doing an online virtual training on Monday and Tuesday. Uh, I think this is going to drop on Monday. But, um, you know, if, if you haven't signed up for it, please go check it out. I'm sure it'll be on demand as well somewhere along the way. Um, but, Morgan, as always, we love you. We appreciate you. Uh, we appreciate you just uh, having a real conversation with us. Yeah, absolutely.